Mesechta Zvomas Perikta Zayin, Mishnah Dalad Mithul Perikta Zayin, Mishnah Zayin. The last few Mishnahis of the Mesechta discuss somebody who testifies about somebody who died and the criteria which are necessary for his testimony to be valid and for us to believe him that indeed that person died and he saw him. And the main point of this Mishnah is that it's not enough that it be 99% clear or assumed that this person died. Even if one sees him in a situation where it's close to impossible to escape from alive, if you didn't see him dead, that means that you are using circumstantial evidence to testify that this person is dead. But halakhically speaking, evidence is only valid if it is based on what that person actually saw, without using any background information or assumptions. And therefore, nofalamayev, somebody falls into the water, let's say there's a large pool of water, or the sea, whether whether the water has an end, meaning you can see all four edges of the pool of water, which means that if the person would have come up from the water, you would have seen him. For whether the water does not have visible borders, for example, the sea, the man's wife would still be forbidden to remarry since nobody actually saw him dead. In a case where he falls into a very large pool of water, so it's very possible that he emerged from the water on dry land which you can't see. But even in a case where you can see all of the edges, it's still possible that perhaps you missed him coming up and it is possible that somehow he managed to survive underwater for a long time, as Rabbi Meir now illustrates Omar Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir says that I can support this fact from the following story. Maisa, there was a story which once happened with somebody who fell into a very large pit of water, and he emerged from that water after three full days. It might have been a miracle, perhaps, but at the end of the day, we see that it is possible. So as long as you do not actually see that man dead, one cannot give evidence that he died, since there is a slight, slight possibility that he is still alive. Omar Biyasi, Rabbi argues with the mayor. And according to Rabbi Yossi, it's true that if the water is a very large body of water, and therefore it's possible that he emerged on dry land which you can't see. However, in the case of a smaller pool of water, if he doesn't come up, you can see if he comes up. And if he doesn't come up, then one can indeed assume that he is dead. There was a story which happened with a blind man who went down to dip himself in water which was in a cave. And the one who was pulling him and leading him and helping the blind man, he went into the water after him and they didn't come up, they drowned there. They waited enough time by that body of water for their souls to go out, for them to die. They waited a few hours such that after that time it would be impossible for them to still be alive. And they indeed did allow their wives, the wives of the blind man and his helper, to remarry. So we see that if you can see the edges of the water, then we can assume that he is dead. On the other hand, we see from the following story, says Rabbi that I agree with you that in a case where it is a large body of water, that you cannot assume that he is dead. There was another story in a place called Asya with one particular person who they lowered down into the sea and they tied his leg to a rope and after he was left underwater for a long time they lifted up the rope and only his leg came up in their hands with the rope which means that the man who's now in the water hasn't got a leg 
So it's definitely more likely that he's dead. However, Omu Chachom Chachom said, If the leg which came up with the rope is from the knee upwards, then Tinose, his wife can remarry, because it's pretty much his entire leg came off him. So even if he won't die from drowning, he'll die from the fact that he hasn't got a leg. However, if it's from the knee and downwards, so in terms of the loss of his leg, he would be able to survive. So the only reason to assume that he is dead is from the drowning. And the Chachom said that Leutinosei, his wife, cannot remarry because since this was the sea, and they couldn't see all four sides of the dry land, of the edges of the sea, so it is possible that he came up on dry land somewhere else where they can't see, and therefore they cannot assume that he is dead, so his wife would be forbidden to remarry. Mishnah, hey, this mission now gives a few leniencies where one would be believed and they can assume that the person is dead. And this is specifically in the case where we are allowing a woman to remarry. Because of takonas agunois, to allow a woman to remarry and not be stuck for the rest of her life, having to be concerned that her husband is still alive, there are a number of leniencies where one can assume that that woman's husband has died. And so the Mishnah says, says, even if somebody hears women speaking, they're chatting, and they say, so-and-so died. So this person hears these women saying that, and he returns to his hometown, he comes to Bastin, and he says that I heard that this woman's husband has died. Says the Mishnah, Dayo, that is enough, even though he didn't see the dead man himself, but these women have no reason to be lying. And if they themselves would come to Basin and say that he died, they would be believed. So this person reporting what he heard from them, he would also be believed. The other reason which allows for leniencies in the case of believing that a woman's husband has died is because since she knows that if the husband comes back and he's found to still be alive, then she'll have to separate from both husbands and there will be lots of severe punishments and consequences, as we saw in Perak Yud. So she would be likely to check out the facts and make absolute sure that he is dead before remarrying. Continues the missionary, Rabbi Yehuda says, Even if he hears young children saying, We are going to give eulogies, or to hear eulogies, which are speeches about a person who has died, and to bury a particular person, that is also good enough, and the Gemara actually explains that that is not good enough, because it could be that they're talking about in the future. When this man dies, then we'll bury him and we'll speak about him. The Gemara explains it has to be that they are saying that we're on the way back from doing so. If he hears children saying that we just buried so-and-so and we just spoke about him having died, then that is also considered valid, and that is sufficient evidence to allow his wife to remarry. Now, in both of these cases, in the cases of the children and the women who are chatting, whether the person or the people talking intend to give testimony, and whether they do not intend to do so, they could be they're just chatting between each other, in either case, that is good enough evidence. Rabbi Huda ben Bava, Omer ben Bava says, That's all true, be Israel with a Jew. Ache miskavein and other versions, which possibly make more sense, read Afal Pishu miskavein. Even if they intend to give testimony, it would be valid. But Uvagoi, when it comes to a non-Jew, that is not the case. If a non-Jew comes and he intends to give witness, he intends to testify that so-and-so died, his testimony is not considered halakhically to be testimony. So if he says it in the form of being a witness and testifying, then it is invalid because he is never valid to be a witness. However, if he is just chatting and he says it 
in the passing, so the fact that you heard him saying that this person died, that is considered to be good evidence, and you're not saying that you're giving testimony in the name of the non-Jew. The non-Jew never gave testimony, rather something which she said implies that that person is dead, and that would be good enough evidence to allow his wife to remarry. Mishnah Vov, this Mishnah gives a couple of more leniencies to allow a woman to remarry. One can give testimony that a man died, even if he only saw him by the light of a candle or the light of the moon. So it's less clear and he can't necessarily recognize all of the features of that person. But if he claims to have recognized him, then that is good enough and his wife would be able to remarry. As well as that, they can allow the woman to remarry based on a voice. If they hear a voice proclaiming the death of her husband, even that is good enough evidence. We assume that somebody saw him dead and they called out very loudly to let people know that this person had died. So it's like him giving testimony, as it were, that is good enough evidence of the man's death. And indeed, there was a story which once happened with a particular person who stood on the top of a mountain. And he said, he called out, So-and-so, the son of so-and-so from a certain place. He mentioned the name of the place. Mace, he died. And they went to the top of the mountain. They did not find anybody there. They didn't find the dead body. And nevertheless, they still allowed his wife to remarry. So we see that that voice which proclaimed his death was good enough, even without any other evidence. One thing we do see from this story is that the identity of that person needs to be stated in a very clear way. You have to mention his name, his father's name, and the place where he is from. And then it will be good enough to allow his wife to remarry. The Shuvmais of Salman, there was another story which happened in a place called Salman, Be'echod She'omar, with a particular person who said, he called out, Ani, Ishplaini ben Ishplaini, I, uh, so-and-so, the son of so-and-so. He mentioned his name and the father's name. Nushochani Nochosh, a snake bit me. The Hariani Mace, and behold, I am dead, I am dying. I'm about to die, and the Holchu. They went to the place where they heard him shout, and they did find a person. However, Velohikiruhu, they didn't recognize him. Perhaps due to the bite of the snake, he was no longer recognizable. So the fact that they saw him would not be valid evidence because they couldn't recognize him. And nevertheless, Vesiris Ishtoi, they still allowed his wife to remarry. So we see that the calling out of that man, that in itself was sufficient evidence to believe that he is dead, and to assume that he is dead, and to allow his wife to remarry another man. Mishnah Zayin, this last mission of the Masechta gives us a bit of a background to this halacha that we have seen over the last two prokim time and time again, that even one witness who is generally invalid to testify is believed to say that a man died in order that his wife will be able to remarry because of takonas agunais, in order to prevent the woman being stuck for the rest of her life not being able to remarry. So these leniencies apply. We're going to see that for a long time this was not the case and indeed the Chachomim required two witnesses or at least one witness who is a valid witness in order to establish the fact that this man had died. Omar Akiva, Akiva said, he recalled the following story, When I went down to Nahardor, which is in Bovel, to declare a leap year, 
The Mephoshim explained that the Romans in Eretz Yisrael forbade the Jews to keep certain mitzvahs, and so Rabbi Akiva was forced to go to Bovel in order to declare the leap year. And whilst I was in Bovel, I found Nehemiah who lived in a place called Beis Deli. And Omar Lee, he said to me, I heard that there is nobody in Eretz Yisrael who allows a woman to remarry from the testimony of one witness, except for Rabbi Yehudim Bava. But apparently everybody else in Eretz Yisrael requires two witnesses to testify about her husband's death before she can remarry. And I told him, The matter is correct. Those words are true. Omar Lee, he said to me, Nechemi Lee told Rabbi Akiva, Emolohem Bishmi, tell them, tell the Chachom of Eretz Yisrael in my name, Atem Yedim Shamedinam Shubeshesh Begiosais. You know that the country and the place where I am right now is being attacked by enemy armies. And because of that, it's dangerous for me to leave and to come to Eretz Yisrael. And that's why I'm not coming to you myself to give over this testimony which I have. However, you, Rabbi Akiva, should tell them as follows. I received a tradition from Rabbi Gamliel Hazokein that he ruled that the Basin can allow a woman to remarry based on the testimony of just one witness. So Rabbi Akiva says, When I came and retold the words in Eretz Yisrael in front of Rabbi Gamliel who was in the Basin in Yavne, this Rabban Gamliel was the grandson of Rabban Gamliel Hazokein. Rabban Gamliel Hazokein's son was called Rabban Shim Ben Gamliel, and his son was known as Rabban Gamliel. So when Rabbi Akira came and told him this tradition which he got from Nehemiah Ishbeis Deli in the name of Rabban Gamliel Hazokein, Somach Lidzvorai, he was very happy about my words. We're talking about Rabban Gamliel now. V'omar, and he said, Matzonu Chobar Rabbi Yudim We've found a friend, somebody who holds like Rabbi Yudim He's now not the only one who validates the testimony of just one witness in order to allow a woman to remarry. And he was also happy about the fact that now women wouldn't be stuck and they would be able to remarry. And indeed, in the middle of the words and their conversation, Rabban Gamliel actually remembered that that it once happened that certain people were killed in a place called Tel Arzah. And indeed, his grandfather had allowed their wives to remarry based on the testimony of just one witness. And now it made sense because Rabban Gamliel Hazokin indeed held that one witness was sufficient in this case. And once this story happened, the it was accepted and instituted that they would allow a woman to remarry based on the testimony of just one witness. And as well as that, the was instituted and accepted by them to allow a woman to remarry based on the testimony of a witness who says that he heard from another witness who saw the man dead. So the person who's giving testimony didn't see the man dead. But he says that somebody else gave testimony that he did see him dead. That's also good enough. And mepi eved, mepi isha, mepi shifcha. Even if it's in the name of a non-Jewish slave or in the name of a woman or in the name of a non-Jewish female slave, of course, who is owned by a Jew, even though these are generally invalid witnesses, when it comes to Takonas Agunois to allow women to remarry, they are accepted. And that is how we reach the assumption which we have really had over the last two Purakim that such testimony is accepted for the sake of allowing a woman to remarry. Now the Mishnah is going to relate a couple of opinions and a conversation between them which certain Tanoim had 
before this story which we just had, and before it was accepted that the testimony of one single, in general, invalid witness is enough, this was actually accepted by everybody. But earlier on, Rabbi Eliezer Rabbi Yeshua Imrim, Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yeshua had held, and they said, that one cannot allow a woman to remarry based on the testimony of just one witness. According to them, this is no different to any other case. Two properly valid witnesses are required. Rabbi Akiva, Omer Rabbi Akiva says, A woman or non-Jewish male slave or non-Jewish woman slave or a relative is not valid because they are intrinsically invalid witnesses. However, Rabbi Akiva held that one valid witness would be enough. Now, the Chachomim held that one regularly invalid witness was enough, and they wanted to prove their opinion to Rabbi Akiva from the following story. Omulay, the Chachom said to Rabbi Akiva, Maisa, there was a story which once happened with Nelevi, with a certain group of Leviim, Sheholchul Tsoyar Eha Tamarim. They were traveling to a city called Tsoyar, the city of dates. And one of them became ill on the journey towards there. They brought him to an inn on the way there, and they continued on to their journey to Tsoyar. And on their way back, they stopped off at this inn to pick up their friend, and they said to the female innkeeper, who was not Jewish, Where is our friend who we left here? She told them, Mace, he died, or Kvartev, and I buried him. And indeed, she showed them his grave, Vesiris Ishtoi, and the Chachamim allowed his wife to remarry. So Omruloi, the Chacham said to Rabbi Akiva, You see from here that even a single female non-Jewish woman, even her testimony is valid. And you're saying that a regular Jewish woman is not good enough. Should a woman who is fit to marry a Koyen, who is a Jewish woman who comes from a Jewish family, should she not be as good as this non-Jewish innkeeper? Omruloi, the Akiva said to them, if the innkeeper's testimony were to be valid, then yeah, you're right. A regular Jewish woman's testimony would also be valid. But this woman didn't testify. The innkeeper just brought out to them and gave them his stick and his bag with the things that he had, the Sefer Torah and the Sefer Torah which he had in his hand. She didn't intend to give testimony. She was just telling them that you should know that he died. And that's the evidence which allowed the man's wife to remarry, not her testimony itself. And this fits with what Rabbi Yehudim and Bava said in Mishnahay, that a non-Jew who says that a person died, as long as they are not intending to give testimony, then that is good evidence to allow his wife to remarry. Solik Masechus Yvomus Mazeltov, no doubt the most difficult Masechta in Seder Noshim, a huge achievement, Mazeltov Mazeltov.